Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra's Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Uh, I'm coming from the inland Pacific Northwest of the United States of America on a very blustery, windy January the 13th. Happens to be a Friday, Friday the 13th. And the year is, yes, just starting out 2023. Now I'm going to take you back all the way to yesterday. And I want you to recall that the intrauterine fetal exposed cortisol was found to deacetylate histone lysine residues proximal to the TGF beta 1 receptor promoter region during gestation that generated a modified histone code having the potential for a post-sequelae effect on adult predisposition to osteoarthritis. Now, I hope you recall that. So what we're saying is an epigenetic signature was laid down as a decreased acetylation of a lysine Histone, uh, histone lysine residue. And what this results in is a decrease in the expression of the TGF beta 1 receptor. Okay. And this happens to fetus in utero because of high circulating cortisol. And it shows up as high concentration of cortisol in the intrauterine fetal associated gestation period. Okay. Now I went back and looked at a paper published in journal of endocrinology back in 2003. Yeah. That's like about 20 years ago, right? Now let me get into this for you. And I also got to reveal to you how the names of proteins change over time. So back then this paper was talking about activins and inhibitors. And they are calling them glycoprotein hormones that have been shown to modify pituitary follicular stimulating hormone secretion. And because of that, gonadal steroidogenesis. So they're saying that the activants and inhibitants, these glycoproteins, are produced also in the adrenal cortex, where this paper was just now starting to look at what possible physiological functions these, these glycoproteins may have. And what they're saying is that hormonally active human adrenocortical tumors express and secrete these inhibins. Um, but in the mouse model, the adrenal inhibins function as tumor suppressors. Okay, so there is a contrary thing, right? You're saying that active human adrenocortical tumors actually secrete this protein called inhibin, whereas in the rodent model, adrenal inhibins actually suppress tumors. So once again, you're looking at a modulatory effect. Whenever you think about a modulatory effect, I want you to recognize that you're going to get not necessarily a contradictory biochemical event, but one of these marvelous contrarian or possibilistic 
associated modalities. Going all the way back to our discussion of judgment, what modalities are, remember? Problematic, assertoric, and apodictic. Okay, now, so this paper back in 2003, published in the Journal of Endocrinology, wanted to look at the activity of adrenal inhibitants and activins and the signaling phenomena associated with adrenocortical steroidogenesis, remember cortisol is a steroid hormone, and associated programmed cell death in the form of apoptosis. And so they were looking at the activin receptor 2, 2B, and 1B. And, that, and then they were following the activin signal transduction, which included two proteins that we've talked about quite a bit, or TGF-beta, and those are SMAD2-3. Remember, those are adapter molecules that make up the transcription factor complex that will generate collagen as well as the agrican, which are normal physiological proteins that are necessary for the chondrocyte development, not the osteoblast. Remember that? Okay. And that was working, remember, through that specific uh, receptor that was different from the path pathogenic response because the pathogenic response dealt with SMAD158 as co-adapter molecules. I'm sure you recall all that, right? All right. So <clears throat> they found that when they treated now, these are going to be, this is a cell paper, right? I mean, not published in cell. I mean, it's talking about cells and culture. They treated adrenocortical carcinoma cells. Those are going to be epithelial-derived cancer cells, right? With activin A, and they showed that it inhibited steroidogenic acute regular, regulatory protein and the enzyme 17-alpha-hydroxylase, which also has a 1720-lyase activity. So, once again, treating this adrenocortical carcinoma cells with activin A inhibited steroidogenic regulatory protein, the acute form of that, plus the enzymes involved in steroidogenesis, one of them 17-alpha-hydroxylase. Uh, also having activity as 1720-lyase activity. Okay. Now, they did this work by doing northern blocks of transcript. So this tells you it predates RT-PCR, reverse transcript is RT, uh, that is RT uh, polymerase chain reaction. So it's the old way that we used to look at transcription rates by looking at RNA. So the isolated RNA, they would call what's called a northern block. Okay. Uh, something that your professor here has great um, experience with. Now, what they found was that along with this decrease in steroidogenesis um, activation at the transcriptional level, yeah, that there was a decrease in cortisol, androstenedione, dehydroepiandrosterone, and dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate secretion. And they did that work 
by doing enzyme immunoassays or ELISAs using antibodies against those proteins, right? Again, something I have some experience with. So not only that, activin A increased ap apoptosis. And they measured that by using a terminal deoxynucleotidal transferase in situ apoptosis detection technique, which was like the hottest thing 20 years ago. Right? Now, the other thing they tell you in this paper, inhibitins, that's the other side of these glycoproteins involved in signaling. Back in 2003, that's all they were calling them, right? They're, they're, they're involved in adrenocortical uh, alterations of expression of genes, right? They're saying inhibitors had no effect on steroidogenesis and indeed also on programs of that. So what they say at the end of this paper is the active in signaling co-expressed in the zona reticularis and the innermost zona fasciculata indicates a full signaling potential for these adrenal activins and therefore directly inhibiting steroidogenic enzyme gene expression and indeed steroid secretion. And when this occurs in this study, they saw increased apoptosis in human adrenocortical cells. Okay. So this is really an interesting paper. Now, <laughs> let's continue, shall we? We shall. A paper published almost 20 years later in the journal Immunity now comes to uh, our perspective. I present it to you. So this paper is talking about interleukin 17A. Remember, that is a very potent modulatory, but mostly pro-inflammatory cytokine coming from T helper cells class 17. That's why it's called interleukin 17. So they're looking at TH17 cells that were identified, of course, initially as causing tissue inflammation and have been uh, many times accused of being the major T helper cell involved in the autoimmune diseases in humans. So this paper is saying, however, you have this pathogenic role for TH17 cells because of the pro-inflammatory effects, which obviously can trigger a, a pathophysiological response, right? Chronic inflammation, for example, or an autoimmune, where an antigen is not, a host antigen that's not supposed to generate an inflammatory response nevertheless does, right? Well, this paper admits the TH17 cells have non-pathogenic and indeed this immune regulatory function, okay? Now, what the question here is that what is controlling TH17 cells polarity, modality, and valence? So they're saying that pathogenic and non-pathogenic TH17 cells are differentiable. And it's done so in the context of different cytokines. So these are cytokines that are going to trigger responses in the differentiating TH17 cells. And some of these cytokines are well known to the audience. Interleukin-6 and interleukin-1-beta. I'm also going to tell you about interleukin-12. 
23 here. Okay. Now, in Luke at 6, in Luke at 1 beta, are almost always considered very potent pro inflammatory cytokines. And indeed, those two cytokines, along with interleukin 23, drive the pathogenic polarity of Th17 cells. Whereas TGF beta 1 drive non pathogenic THG, Th17 cell differentiation. Okay. So now that's also, though, in the presence of interleukin 6. So it's interesting that TGF beta which can be pro-inflammatory, and interleukin-6, which is almost always pro-inflammatory, when those two cytokines work together on Th17 cells, on receptors in Th17 cells, they will generate THC, Th17 cells that are non-autoimmune causing. Okay? Now, that's an interesting thing. Once again, it, it proves the point in biochemistry. You cannot make a statement about a substance and say this substance always causes, you know, A always causes B. For example, interleukin-6 always induces a pro-inflammatory response. Here's a case where it does the opposite, right? Yet it's not a contradiction. It's a contrarian because it's a different space and time. You understand? Okay. So let's go on with this in more detail. Both pathogenic and non-pathogenic Th17 cells express the Th17A and the transcription factor ROR gamma T. And they turn on yet distinct genetic programs that contribute either to immune homeostasis, which means a regulatory role, or pro-inflammation. Okay. So the pro-inflammatory Th17 cells express high levels of pro-inflammatory, for example, cytokines such as the granulocyte uh, colony stimulating factor, that's GMCSF, and plus the interleukin-23 receptor. Okay, And at the same time, these highly pro-inflammatory Th17 cells generate very small amounts of interleukin-10 and CD5L, both of which are um, regulatory, non-inflammatory. All right? And, of course, the non-pathogenic Th17 cells express low levels, and concomitantly, of GM-CSF and the interleukin-23 receptor. Okay, so you get how this works. Now, active in A and TGF-beta-1 activate different MAP kinase signaling in the same cell type. So activin A not only promotes the generation and the function of immune suppressive regulatory cells, those are Tregs, right? And they do so by synergizing the TGF-beta-1 um, stimulation, but they also promote pro-inflammatory. At the same time, they're turning on Treg cells. These these cytokines will also cause the pro-inflammatory Th2 and Th9 response, and also T follicular helper cell related 
pro-inflammatory responses. So you turn on Tregs with the same cytokines, when Tregs are going to suppress inflammation, those same cytokines in the right molar concentrations will turn on the T helper, also known as T effector cells, which means those are typically pro-inflammatory. So curious stuff. So what they found is that activin A was increased in the sera of untreated, relapsing, remitted, multiple sclerosis patients. They also had a mouse model backup. The mouse model backup, what do you think it is? What's the mouse model uh, disease for human MS? It is the experimental autoimmune encephalitis, or EAE. I mentioned it many times in the lecture. Right, and that's basically the mouse model for multiple uh, sclerosis, particularly the relapsing remitting MS, right? The one that's most dangerous. So you get the idea why they're doing both of these things. You've got the animal model on one level, and then they're looking at the same occurrence in patients, okay? All right. So the expression of active in A, but not TGF beta 1, was increased in the central nervous system infiltrating T lymphocytes, such that active in A expression was induced in T cells by interleukin 6, interleukin 23, and interleukin 1 beta. And it was required for the pro-inflammatory, but not the, uh, the anti or modulatory TH17 cell differentiations. Okay? So, the presence of active in A and interleukin 6 will generate a transcriptome that's identical to the pathogenic TH17 cells, particularly when you look at elicited severe EAE model. Okay? Get that now. So comparing the mouse, comparing the human, and so far there's a lot of linearity there between the polarity of the TH17 cells relative to these various concentrations of TGF-beta activin, which are themselves cytokines, right? And also the normally described cytokines that cause pro-inflammation in leukin-6 um, and leukin-1-beta. Okay, so we got that part figured out, okay? Now, TGF-beta-1, but not active in A, suppressed the ERK kinase phosphorylation. Now, that step is essential for the terminal differentiation of the pro-inflammatory TH17 cells. So TGF-beta, but not active in A, will suppress that. Okay, so this is where there's a difference between these two cytokines. And what the, what the study does is show that there's a differentiation between active in A and TGF beta and controlling the relative ratios of TGH17 modulatory cells, which are basically neutral in terms of inflammation, and the very potent, very potent TH17 pro inflammatory cells which not only are pro-inflammatory, but that are known to generate things like multiple sclerosis in the human and EAE in the mouse model. 
right, which are autoimmune diseases. Okay, so it's pretty clear and pretty interesting um, differentiation there. So I want you to understand something about this TGF beta family, that's <laughs> protein family. Now we're going to have to get into this. And by the way, I wasn't expecting to lecture on this at all this afternoon. I, I have my lecture already written, and I'm just going to move along to another aspect of the chondrocyte story, which we haven't finished yet. But I found this while digging into the literature. And so that's why I'm presenting it to you, because it will give us a more complete, shall I say, authentic understanding of this pathophysiology at the pathobiochemical level, which is our of our interest. So TGF beta superfamily is actually composed with over 30 different isoforms, including the TGF betas, but also the bone morphogenetic proteins. Those are the BMPs. Yes, they're called morphogenetic proteins, BIMPs, BMPs, and activins and growth and differentiation factors, so-called GDFs. So that's all in the same family. They all have similar polypeptide structural associations, uh, domains, I should say. So they're all in the TGF superfamily. So activins are a TGF subtype. Okay, I understand that. Along with BMPs as well. Now, even though TGF-beta-related signaling is absolutely required for the differentiation of TH17 cells, as I just mentioned, the actual role when you have a high level of autoimmune pro-inflammatory TH17 cells, the role for TGF-beta in that process, when you get full-blown, for example, multiple sclerosis, that hasn't really been well worked out. So remember the TGF-beta has that ALK5 receptor, right? And you have also the ALK1 receptor. Now, associated with those two kinase receptors, those are kinases, right? Which is going to ultimately then do what? <laughs> Phosphorylate SMAD proteins, that's correct. Now, those two receptor kinases, as it turns out, have quite a different role in pro and anti-inflammatory. Remember that. I'm sure you do. So we have to look at TGF-beta-related cytokines like activin, and we have to look at the different SMADs. Remember, you had the SMAD 2-3 family, the SMAD 4, which was quite congenial between the SMAD 2-3 and the SMAD 1-5-8. That's the other family, three families of SMADs, right? And they're trying now to, to um, tease out how those different SMADs interact in TH17 cells. Okay. Now, activin A is encoded by a gene called INHBA. Okay. Just so you know, it doesn't sound like activin A. So if we're going to look this up in the gene bank, that's what it's called. Now, activin A is a cytokine obviously, and it's structurally very similar to TGF-beta, so structurally similar, they can share receptors, okay? 
So we call that a pleiotropic cytokine. So we're calling it activine, okay? And pleiotropic mostly because it has contrarian effects when it is signaling through variable receptors. Now, didn't we just go through this in the last several lectures, right? On this whole chondrocyte story, we talked about whether or not TGF uh, beta was binding to those two different um, uh, receptor families and whether or not, if it bound to one receptor or another, whether or not the SMADs would be differentially phosphorylated and then turn on completely different transcriptional um, sequelae, right? You get different transcripts made, some of which would be anti-inflammatory and some of which would be pro-inflammatory. Some which would generate chondrocyte differentiation, some which would generate osteoblast generation. Remember that? Okay. So all these regulated families now are coming together. So activin A, very similar to TGF-beta, but quite different, right? in what it does downstream. So activin A binds to its specific receptor. Now dig this, it's not ALK1 or ALK5. Its favorite receptor, the highest binding constant is to an ALK4. Now you might guess it's an ALK4 because I told you there was a one and a five. There's also a two and three, right? So as it turns out, activin A binds to ALK4. And you know that TGF beta binds to ALK or to ALK1. Now, when TGF beta binds to ALK5, it initiates via signaling, remember, a transcriptional pattern, and it generates an alteration of the function of the target cells. And even that downstream sequelae is unique to the cell type. Okay? So both active in A and TGF-beta-1 will induce those two co-activator protein phosphorylations. In other words, activin A and TGF-beta will both induce, because they're working again through kinase receptors, the phosphorylation of SMAD2 and SMAD3. Okay? And at the same time, they're going to degrade an inhibitory protein called SKI, S-K-I. You know, it's inhibitory because it's got an eye at the end of it, right? So even the geneticists sometimes try to be linear in their reasoning. It's rare, but occasionally you get it. Now, TH17 cells exert both pathogenic and non-pathogenic functions. So cytokine TGF-beta-1 is absolutely necessary for TH17 differentiation. I just told you this. It is, however, dispensable for the generation of pro-inflammatory TH17 cells, okay? So active in A, which is a TGF-beta subfamily member, is involved in the pathogenic TH17 cell differentiation. So active in A expression is increased in patients with relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. And in the mouse model for that disease, which is the EAE, that's the autoimmune encephalomyelitis, okay? Experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, excuse me. So 
when you stimulate with interleukin-6 and activin A, you induce a transcriptional program that is basically giving you the repertoire for pro-inflammatory, highly pathogenic, because these are disease states we're talking about, the MS or the EAE, highly pathogenic resulting activated TH17 cells. Okay. And all of that could be blocked by blocking active and A signaling. And in fact, this paper went on to do a gene disruption of active and A and its receptor, the ALK4, in T cells. And what they found was they impaired pathogenic, or that is pro-inflammatory, autoimmune-associated TH17 cell differentiation. And they show this in vitro in the cell culture, and they also showed it in vivo in the mouse model. So ultimately, you can say that ERK phosphorylation, which, as I said, is essential for that pro-inflammatory TH17 cell differentiation, is suppressed by TGF-beta-1 working through the ALK5 receptor, but not the active in ALK4 receptor, even though both the ALK5 and the ALK4 will faithfully phosphorylate the SMAD23. Okay? So now you got the whole story here. All right. And the reason I'm telling you this is because now you understand much more clearly those earlier remarks about how TGF beta has either a promotive or a um, negative effect. That is, remember the fibrosis generating then inflammatory response in the chondrocytes. Now that we talked about that, like, well, you know, 